I'm busy. I'm busy. Okay? There's priorities. Sometimes you got to post on Truth Social and and not do the thing that you're paid to do. So I'm Casey Hendrickson. I want to thank you all for joining us. I want to thank R&B Car Company, locations in South Bend, Warsaw, and Columbia City. You go to rbcarcompany.com, get more information about that. Um, I was just posting the the live stream link on Truth Social and started bloviating a little bit. Wanted to make sure I got the hashtags and stuff in there before uh, before I came on. But I wanted to start today's show with something that I did yesterday, but I'm going to do it in more detail. And the reason that I wanted to do this is there's still a massive amount of people who are buying into this because, once again, you are forced to make a choice between two potential outcomes. One, uh, your news media in general and at large is either lying to you or incredibly lazy. And I don't know which one it is. I'm sure it kind of like fluctuates and there's some variance there. There's obviously some really good news outfits out there. There's some really good people who work for some bad news outfits out there. There's bad people who work for good news outfits. You get the gist, right? It's a big industry. But I wanted to go over this statement. And this week there will be a fake news flash on it. But I wanted to go over this statement that's been out there that guns are the number one killer of American children now. And that this has never happened before. This is only a 2020 thing. And I told you yesterday why that wasn't true in the 5 o'clock hour. What I didn't do is I didn't go into the actual statistics. And the reason I didn't do that is, well, frankly, I didn't have time. Okay? Uh, the show had some things happen that got me behind at the beginning with the breaking news at the top of the show. So we kind of lost 40 minutes or so that I was planning on, on working around that. So today what I wanted to do is I wanted to take an opportunity and I wanted to go over the actual data. And what is important is that everybody understands that this data comes from the Center for Disease Control. The CDC is the purveyor of this data that everybody is using. And this started going viral on TikTok because, once again, activist groups are using TikTok. For those of you out there who are like, oh, TikTok's stupid, blah, blah, that's where your kids and grandkids are. So your kids and grandkids right now are being inundated with a bunch of viral TikToks that have been paid and promoted by anti-gun rights groups. And they are targeting your kids and your grandchildren. So they're getting this information from TikTok. You know TikTok is a useless place for information. I know it's a useless place for information. But that doesn't mean anything. That's where they're getting their information from. And I'm sorry, but when you have a, a very influential TikTok star... Air quote, TikTok star showing a chart from the CDC that says guns are the number one killer of kids. That's very powerful for somebody to see in 30 seconds. So they look at this and they go, oh, my gosh, gun violence is out of control. Okay, it's not true. It's not accurate. It's a lie. And it's an intentional deception designed to steer the gun control debate. It is an intentional deception designed to scare lots of people, and it has fooled millions. And you have to understand who is in the executive right now. And you also have to go back in history, go back to how Obama politicized the CDC, right? The CDC got politicized under Obama. They started doing, you know, gun crime stats. All of their research came back debunking the left-wing anti-gun narrative, so they just kind of swept them under the rug and they pretended they didn't exist after their research came back. So now they're trying it again. Yesterday, what I did is I told you how they were getting to this 
magical statistic that somehow gun violence in the United States has now surpassed automobile accidents for the leading cause of death for children in the United States. The simple answer is they included 18 and 19-year-olds and they included suicides, which is a very dishonest way of presenting this data. Gun violence is not suicide. Gun violence is somebody used a firearm to murder somebody. And that the person being murdered was not a bad guy, but an innocent person, or there was some mutual bad guy combat happening, like gang warfare. And it is imperative that you understand how they manipulate this data. We've talked about how every town for gun safety routinely lies about these things every single year. We've already gone over, and we did this again yesterday, but we have to do a fact check on this probably three or four times a year. Every t- every now and then something happens, and there becomes a massive sort of a story push on the number of mass school shootings that have happened this year. So the current narrative is that there's 27 mass school shootings that have happened in the United States this year. There hasn't been 27. There's been one, and it's Uvalde, Texas. There hasn't been more than that. But what they do is they take shootings that happened near the school, counts as a school shooting, shootings that happened at extracurricular activities when school wasn't in session, like at 8 o'clock at night or a football game. That gets counted as a school shooting. Individuals who committed suicide in the school counts as a school shooting, and they all get counted under mass school shooting. Stuff that happens in the parking lot. Stuff that happens in the parking lot on a Saturday. All of these things. That's how they add them into the data. We've talked about this before. Guntown, well, Guntown is a different one than every town. Every town is the big one. Every town has been caught manipulating this data for years. Okay, This is something that is well known. People in, in the, the constitutional side of the argument understand this. The vast majority of people just going about their day don't know that they manipulate the data this way. All they know is they flipped on the TV and they saw Brett Bear on Fox News the other day go, oh, my God, there's been 27 school shootings in, in, this, uh, in this country this year. It's not true. There's been one. There's been 13 mass school shootings in the United States since 1966. That's it. I'm not saying that each one of those isn't a tragedy. One is too many. And I'm not saying that anybody who is shot at school is not a tragedy. It certainly is. But if you're going to lie about the data, if anybody lies about the data, that means they know that they're wrong and they're intentionally deceiving you to try and push a narrative because they want a political policy position. That's what this is about. So your average news media, as I've highlighted before, yes, there are many of them who are just deceptive. That is true. They're lying to you because they have an agenda. Most of the news media in the United States, folks, is just lazy. That's all there is to it. They don't know how to look at scientific research. They don't know where to go find the scientific research. They don't know how to look at the CDC's data. They don't know where to go to look at the CDC's data. By the way, you can find the CDC's actual data in two locations. Now, if you go to a news article, they will simply tell you the CDC says this, and if they provide a link, they'll link to a CDC article. What they won't do is actually link you to the data, and you can get the data in two different places, the one that I recommend, which is the easiest one to navigate, is the Whiskers system, and that's W-I-S-Q-A-R-S. The CDC Whiskers system will allow you to go through all causes of death by age group, by year. You can basically, as long as you plug in three causes of death, 
you can come up with any chart that you want. And this is all of their data, okay? So as we highlighted yesterday, what they had to do to get to that number was to add in 18-year-olds, add in 19-year-olds, and then add in suicides by firearm. So if, God forbid, a teenager committed suicide with a gun, they get added into the gun violence index. You know who doesn't get added? People who slit their own wrists don't get added to the stabbing stats. Guns are the only one we do this with. But because we do this, they're able to manipulate the data. So I actually went into the Whisker system today, and I pulled up all of the data, and I went back to 2018. And the reason I went back to 2018 is I wanted you to have a few different years of data to go through. Because here's the truth. At no point at all are people under the age of 18 primarily killed by firearms in this country. That just isn't true. I went over some of those, some of that data with you yesterday, but I didn't get deep into the woods with it because I didn't have time. Today, we're going to go a little bit deeper, just so you understand. Now, if you missed it yesterday, go back and listen to the podcast or watch the live stream on Rumble. It'll be in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, I think I started, did I start it at 5 o'clock on that one? Do you remember? I think I might have started it at 5. So just find the beginning of the 5 o'clock hour. I think that's when I got into the data, if not 4.30. Okay, so... This is this is important for people to understand. So if this is something you've been hearing, this is something you've been concerned about, you've been looking for answers on, or if you're somebody who's fallen for it and believed it, even if you still are not interested in getting rid of, of constitutional rights, this will help you because this is how they manipulate the data to push an agenda. They, they have to lie to you. The anti-gun groups have to deceive you and they have to lie to you. It is the reason that they are constantly doing it. They never argue from an actual statistical fact. They always argue with emotion and manipulated data. We've talked about this countless times on how they manipulate, how they classify a mass shooting, and they sometimes accept one definition if it helps them. Other times they don't accept that definition because it doesn't, uh, it doesn't provide good data for who the shooter looks like, what's the color of their skin, what's their political affiliations, that sort of thing. They always are constantly scheming to manipulate the data in a way that they can present their argument to you in order to convince you using emotion. They're lying. So once again, we'll get into the data here in this next segment, but no, violence with guns is not the leading cause of death of American children. That is a lie. I'll prove it to you next on 95.3 MNC. Casey Hendrickson, 95.3 happening throughout the area. I'm Laura Smith. And I'm John Zimney, plus the top news traffic and weather first thing Friday morning on 95.3 MNC. No, gun violence is not the leading cause of death of American children. That is a lie. It's not a spin. It's a flat out lie. They are intentionally deceiving you. So here's what I did. I went to the Center for Disease Control. And I'm using their data since everybody's saying it's the CDC. It's the CDC that now says gun violence has surpassed automobile accidents as the number one cause of death for Americans, young Americans, I should say, children uh, in the United States. And that's for the year 2020. Okay, We don't have 2021 stats yet. You don't get that until the fall. So I wanted to use the CDC's data. I contemplated debunking this with the FBI's data, but I, you know, 
let's compare apples to apples here. Let's just actually go to the CDC's website and look at the data that they're publishing and that they're promoting and that every other news outfit around the country is promoting and see if it's actually true. Shocker, it's not. Now, I know that I gave you some of that data yesterday, but I want to get into the woods here just a little bit. I created a spreadsheet. So what I did is I went to the CDC Whiskers system. So the Whiskers system is it's basically a database graph tool that they have. It's a very good tool. I wish that more bureaucracies had this tool, to be perfectly honest with you. You can go into the data and you can filter the data by age, by cause of death, custom date ranges, and that sort of thing, which you have to do in order to get the accurate data. Because if you don't, the CDC loves doing this really weird thing. This is how they play with data. And they did this with COVID too. They'll go, oh, zero years of age to 14. And then they'll go 15 years of age to 25. And then they'll try and tell you that, see, everybody under the age of of 17 has died from a gun wound when they're including much older people in that data. So you have to do the custom age range, which I did. So here's what we ended up doing. I just wanted to start off because the CDC gets to this number by going 0 to 19 years old. Obviously, 18 and 19-year-olds are not kids. Okay, They shouldn't be counted in child gun violence stats, period. Nor should suicides. But it is important that we look at this data. So in 2018, okay, car accidents killed from 0 to 19 years old. Car accidents killed 3,619, 19 and younger people. Gun homicides were 1,831. Gun suicides were 1,297. So for 0 to 19 years old in 2018, the total number of gun homicides and gun suicides do not surpass the number of car accident deaths. So let's go to the next year, 2019. Again, age 0 to 19 years old. Car accidents, 3,587. Gun homicides, 2,023. Gun suicides, 1,167. Once again, if you total the gun homicides and gun suicides, you do not equal the number of deaths from automobile accidents in the year 2019 for those up to the age of 19 years old. So let's look at 2020, which is the year that everybody is talking about, okay? Car accidents, 3,988. Gun homicides, 2,811. Big jump in gun homicides for 0 to 19 years old in 2020. COVID lockdowns, riots, all of that stuff are involved, okay? Gun suicides, also an increase from the previous year, 1,293. Now, for 2020, if you add age 0 to 19 years old, If you add gun homicides and gun suicides together, then by about 100, a little bit more than that, then you have more gun deaths for 0 to 19 years old than car accident fatalities in 2020. Now, again, let's look at their terminology here. They're using gun violence, which they're including suicide. Remember, In 2020, for 0 to 19 years old, there were 3,988 automobile fatalities for that age group. There was 2,811 gun homicides. So over 1,000 less people were murdered with a firearm in 2020 
than were killed in a car accident, according to the CDC's own data. Now, again, that's from 0 to 19 years old. So we're including two age brackets there of adults, right? So that's how they manipulate the data. Now, let's look at the data as it's supposed to be, which is 0 to 17 years old. We're going to be talking about minors, okay? We're going to be talking about children, which is the headline word that they've been using. There's a few that have said kids and teens. There's a few that have done that, so it's plausible deniability. But let's just look at the number as it's supposed to be based on most of the news stories, which is minors, okay? Those who under the age of 18. In 2018, car accidents killed 2,201. Gun homicides, 864. Gun suicides, 725. If you add gun homicides and suicides together for those under the age of 18, you do not get close to the number of car fatalities. Go to the next year in 2019. Car accidents, 2,228. Slight increase from the previous year. Gun homicides are 938. Gun suicides are 657. And again, if you add gun homicides and gun suicides together for those under the age of 18, you do not come close to the number of under 18 who died in a car accident. Now let's look at 2020, which is the year that everybody is talking about. Don't play my music yet. You wait till I'm done. 2020. Under the age of 18, car accidents killed 2,462 kids, okay? Gun homicides killed 1,376, a dramatic jump over the previous year. Nobody's denying that. Gun suicides also increased dramatically 721 over the previous year. If you add, for under 18 years old, for the year 2020, if you add gun homicides and gun suicides you're still almost 400 deaths short of the total who were killed in automobile accidents, which means the only way that the CDC and the anti-gun groups and the federal government who's pushing this narrative because they control the CDC, the only way they can even get to the, the number where gun deaths surpass automobile accidents for people under the age of 20 is to include suicides and to add in 18 and 19-year-olds, and it only happens in one year and one year alone, and that is 2020. So under the age of 18, absolutely not. Car accidents are still far more likely to take your life than a firearm. It's not even close. And beyond that, if you start looking at some of the other stuff that take the lives of people who are under the age of 18 – other accidents not related to motor vehicles are still far more likely to take your life. But that's not what is being discussed. That's not how it's being presented to all of you. All of this data is available on the CDC's Whisker system. The Whisker system, again, is W-I-S-Q-A-R-S. I will link to it in the Daily Show prep today. So if you follow me online or on Truth Social, you'll be able to see it. If you're on Telegram, you'll be able to see it as well. They are lying to you. Firearms are not... Not even remotely close, the leading cause of death for under 18 in this in this country. Period. End of story. Anybody who tells you otherwise is lying to you, and the CDC's own data backs up my evidence, and the CDC is the one pushing the lie. MNC News Time is 3.32. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that will last a lifetime. This is Michiana's Breaking News and Weather Station. 
systems from the first step to the final phase. Industrial and commercial electrical done right. Casey Hendrickson. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. You mess with my microphone? <laughs> I think I, I think I made the producer upset because he just turned down my microphone. Just doesn't want, want me to talk to anybody. Um, <laughs> I want to thank I want to thank R&B Car Company. Go to rbcarcompany.com. And uh, check them out online. Let them know that I sent you if you go buy a vehicle over there too, please. Good folks over there. All right, so let's let's address some election stuff because this has actually been a very busy week for election integrity things. And I was a little surprised, but it has been. Um, very, very interesting stuff has been going on. So if we take a look at the January 6th committee first. Now, we just had Jim Jordan in town for the Lincoln Day dinner with the St. Joseph County GOP. And Jim Jordan, uh, I was, you know, lucky enough to to meet him and chat with him because I was the MC of the event. Uh, but everybody got a chance to get their picture taken with him. The way that they did it this year was really cool. You know, you had a VIP where you could meet and greet and hang out with Jim Jordan for a while. But then everybody who paid to attend the Lincoln Day dinner got to get up and go actually have their picture taken with Jim Jordan. So that was pretty cool. And he was a good guy. Uh, they had told him who I was and and uh, everything, so we chatted for a little bit. Just uh, good people around him and everything else. Uh, he didn't get into this uh, too much. He mentioned he mentioned January 6th briefly, I think, but he didn't really get into the woods. And I was wondering if he was going to address it, considering they were trying to subpoena him to go talk to the January 6th committee. Now, I want to remind everybody that Jim Jordan was supposed to be on that committee, and Nancy Pelosi wouldn't allow it. Uh, our Congress, well, not ours, but Congressman Banks from Indiana was also supposed to be on that committee, and Nancy Pelosi wouldn't allow it. And so now they're going after Jim Jordan, trying to subpoena him to go in front of the January 6th committee. Now, there's a couple of things that you need to know. The January 6th committee, as Jim Jordan has said, and we've highlighted many times, is illegitimate. It's not a legitimate committee. It doesn't have any actual powers it doesn't make any sense to investigate something the FBI's already investigated and said there's no evidence of. So you're telling the FBI that you're not good enough investigators and law enforcement to do it, so we're going to continue to do it anyway. It's a political witch hunt. Everybody knows it's a political witch hunt, okay? They, they found a couple of never-Trump Republicans to be on the committee, and now they're going after their fellow Republicans because I don't know why. I don't know what the deal is. It's probably why Liz Cheney is down 30 points. But... Jim Jordan made a very simple request when they subpoenaed him because he had always said, I'll cooperate as, as long as I feel like this is going to be a fair process. And they, they wanted to subpoena him. And so he simply made a request and he said, all right, if you're going to call me in front of the committee, turn over all of the evidence that you have that you're going to be questioning me about. Fair point. We do this with every criminal trial in our judicial system. You have a right to have discovery. You have a right to the evidence that will be used against you will be presented in court in a case where you might potentially be targeted. That's all he asked for, folks. He didn't ask for anything weird. He didn't ask for anything strange. He could have simply told them, no, you're illegitimate, and I'm not going to show up to your kangaroo court. And frankly, I would have cheered Jim Jordan for not doing that because he, that's still the right call. But he still said, I'll show up, but you got to turn over everything that you're going to be asking me about so I can prepare. And they said no. They rejected it. So this 
This is the story from Talking Points Memo. The January 6th Select Committee on Tuesday dismissed Representative Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio's list of demands as it issued a stern warning to comply with his subpoena by the end of the week. Now, I would like to remind everybody, uh, subpoena power in Congress no longer has any validity. Democrats never showed up for their subpoenas. So if you go through this whole process through the Obama years of not showing up for subpoenas, you can't be upset when Republicans start doing what you did. But that's exactly what's going on. And as we always tell members of Congress and any politician, at some point in time, you're not going to be in power and somebody else will be in power and they're going to use your tactics against you and you don't really reserve any rights to pitch a fit about it. They always do because they're hypocrites and tribalism will allow people to still, you know, give them safety in their echo chambers. But Democrats wouldn't abide by the subpoena process for decades now. And now they're expecting Republicans to abide by it. Well, when Democrats didn't abide by the subpoena, they didn't get reprimanded. They didn't, didn't get disciplined. So there's no reason to, to abide by a subpoena if you don't want to anymore. So they said instead of meeting his initial summons to testify last week, Jordan reportedly pushed back against the panel subpoena in a letter to the committee and challenging its authority to subpoena him in the first place, which, of course, they don't have any authority to subpoena him. But I, I digress. Jordan wrote that he would only comply with the subpoena if the panel provided him with all of the materials that it planned to use to question him if he sat for a deposition, which, again, is something that we give to anyone facing any trial, right? Anybody who's going to be going before a court gets the information that will be presented against them or that they'll be questioned on so they can prepare. In a letter dated on Tuesday, committee chair Representative Benny Thompson, Democrat of, I think it's Mississippi, uh, rejected Jordan's misplaced rationale for blowing past the deadline uh, in response to Jordan's questioning the committee's validity, Thompson wrote that the nine-person committee is duly constituted and empowered by th- three U.S. District Court decisions. Yeah, no, we've already been over that before, but I digress. Criticizing the makeup and legitimacy of the panel's authority has been a common line for Trump allies aiming to skirt the committee's requests. Uh, Jordan played a role in helping to create that illusion. It, of course, Talking Boys Memo is saying this, but um, again, We've been over this before. The legal power of this committee is extremely limited. This is all political, so it isn't legal in any way and doesn't make any sense to continue to investigate something that has already been investigated by the top law enforcement agency in the land and have found to have been completely and totally not credible. Yet they're continuing to do it. It's a political witch hunt because that's what the Democrats have engaged in since Harry Reid took over as minority leader all the way back in the Bush years. This is what they're doing. He created the war room because the Democrats went to war with everybody. And I know that when I was talking about um, at the Lincoln Day dinner, when I was giving my closing address and I told everybody, you're at war. And if you're not willing to fight, retire into silence and let people who will take over. And I'm sure that there was a lot of people like violent rhetoric. Guess what? They declared war on you a long time ago. And it is high time that people started fighting back. Jim Jordan's one of those people who's fighting back. They're lying about Trump. They're lying about what happened on January 6th. You got Joe Biden at his commencement speech in Delaware lying again about January 6th, saying that they killed two police officers that day. That never happened. They're continuing to lie about all of this. And you have got to be willing to fight back. And Jim Jordan simply wanted the evidence that they were going to ask him about so he could prepare. So when he visited the committee, he would be able to provide accurate and, and substantive answers. And they said no. So he told him to pound sand, as he should. So should everybody else. We got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Casey Hendrickson. 
on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. That's a true story. I was eyeballing it. Were you still here when I was eyeballing that money clip yesterday? He was. Ben was still here, man. I was drooling a little bit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I like I like my money clips. And somebody asked, can you use a money clip for your, your cards? Yeah, of course you can. Uh, I do. I like my money clips. And, and this was, this thing is cool, man. It's got a couple of skulls on it. It's got some mammoth fossils on it. It's, it's, it's just really neat. Uh, they got a couple of different ones, but this one I just, I really did. I fell in love with it. I got to get over there uh, and see if I can maybe pick one up at some point. I don't think I can do it this week, though. So you'll probably beat me to it, but it's amazing, and it is on their website if you want to go take a look at it. It's from William Henry. William Henry is a great company anyway. All right. Let's go back to what's been happening in election integrity news. Since we're just talking about January 6th and in the nonsensical kangaroo court that is trying to call Jim Jordan, he's like, nope, not going to do it. Uh, Now you've got uh, an update to a story that I've given you about this this former mayor and school board member in Arizona. Now, this is an amazing story. This story got going in December of 2020, right after the presidential election. So in December of 2020, this woman gets arrested. Her name is uh, Guillermina Fuentes. She's 66 years old. And... She is, again, a former mayor. She's also a member of a school board, but she got busted uh, committing vote fraud. And then what ended up happening is October of the following year, it's like 10 months later, they added more charges on there because they had found that she had done it several times. So she's involved in an illegal ballot harvesting scheme. Now, she pled not guilty until 2,000 mules came out from Dinesh D'Souza. So 2,000 Mules was just released not that long ago. Her story is featured in the movie. She changes her plea from not guilty to guilty. Interesting, right? Happens right after the movie comes out. Well, we have another update from the Associated Press's Rob Christie. Now, she's not just being accused of a couple of counts of vote fraud. She's being accused of coordinating a large ballot collection scheme in Arizona. That's a dramatic change from December of 2020 when she was just suspected of of committing one act of voter fraud. Then 10 months later, they add a couple more charges on there. Now, all of a sudden, she's a ringleader for a massive ballot harvesting scheme. What a change, huh? And all of this happens after... After 2,000 mules comes out. Now, what's funny is the sheriff, um, this is not the probe that the sheriff has been talking about, but there's one of the sheriffs in Arizona who has started a vote probe in Arizona on some of the election integrity stuff. And that sheriff says that they started it before the release of 2,000 mules and that 2,000 mules had nothing to do with this investigation, which means this sheriff had independent evidence aside from the documentary that there was vote fraud happening. Now, we have a report that came out of Maricopa County. Maricopa County, it's finally totaled now. The audit is done and everything else. Maricopa County counted 19,000 late and invalid ballots in 2020. Now, that is enough to flip the state. Would it have flipped the state? We don't know. But if you go by the news media's rhetoric and narrative, 
what, two-thirds to three-quarters of all of the mail-in ballots that they were getting broke for Biden. So if that's true, then technically you would assume, you know, between 66 and 75 percent of these ballots would have broken for Biden. And if you take those away, Trump could win the state. Obviously, I'm not telling you that Trump did win because we don't know. But they do show this is the latest report from Just the News. They counted 19,000 late and invalid ballots in 2020. Those are ballots that were illegal to count. They counted them towards the total in the election, and that was not supposed to have happened. Uh, What that vote count actually looks like, I don't know. Okay, so I'm not going to tell you that definitively Trump would have won Arizona. But it's enough to flip the state, and that's enough to make the argument that perhaps the results of the election were not going the way that they were supposed to, at least when it comes to Arizona. We've already talked about Georgia. We've talked about Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. Uh, We don't have a lot that we can do about Michigan because Michigan's gonna Michigan. It's just who they are. Got more coming up. 95.3 MNC. WTRC FM and HD1. Niles, South Bend, Elkhart. Motive in Edwardsburg, Michigan. They're on Main Street at 26771 Main Street in Edwardsburg. And of course, you can find them online at jasonautotruckrepair.com. That is Jason with a Y, jasonautotruckrepair.com. Good folks, let them know I sent you. All right, we got some legal stuff to handle. Uh, Michael Avenatti, the creepy, weird guy that the Democrats thought was going to be the next president until it was discovered that he committed massive amounts of fraud on multiple clients. Uh, he has now been sentenced to four years in prison for defrauding Stormy Daniels, who frivolously sued Donald Trump and lost her case. Avenatti was convicted of aggravated identity fraud and wire fraud earlier this year. Uh, so disgraced attorney, this is Fox News, disgraced attorney Michael Avenatti was sentenced to four years in prison on Thursday for cheating his former client adult film star Stormy Daniels out of three hundred grand. Avenatti was convicted of aggravated identity fraud and wire fraud in New York federal court earlier this year. He faced, I think it was the Nike case, right? Uh, He faced a mandatory two years in prison for the former and up to 20 for the latter. Of the four years, 18 months will be served concurrently with the two and a half year sentence he uh, he was previously given in a separate case for trying to extort Nike out of $25 million. Yeah, that was the Nike thing. Avenatti spoke for 12 minutes at the sentencing, acknowledging the series of mistakes and poor judgment that he exercised. I will forever be branded disgraced lawyer and worse, he said. Yeah, but to be fair, I mean, you were branded, you know, pretty awful things beforehand. It's just that the Democrats thought you were going to be their saving grace and their hero because they didn't have anybody that they thought could be Trump at the time. So, yeah, there's um, there's that. No big surprise there, okay? We, we tried telling you what he was, but people didn't want to believe it. And we played you all the montages of everybody basically, you know, getting on their knees and licking his backside on the news media and talking about how he was going to be the next president. And you're so presidential. So that didn't really work out very good. Uh, Amber Heard... <laughs> No big surprise here. We knew this was coming. Amber Heard's attorney has revealed that the actress is absolutely not able to pay $8 million in damages to Johnny Depp and plans to appeal and insists that the jury was tainted by social media during toxic six-week court battle. Right. They were tainted by social media, not by your horrible testimony and the laughable the laughable defense of your attorneys. 
Yeah. Amber Heard's lead attorney has spoken out following her stunning civil suit loss and says the actress is unable to pay the $8.35 million in damages she owes Johnny Depp. Yeah, look, we know that she can't pay it because she doesn't have a man paying it for her. That's who she is. She blows through money, and she goes from rich guy to rich guy to rich guy. She is a gold digger. She goes from rich guy to rich guy to pay all of her bills for her. That all came out in court. We all suspected that about her anyway, but it all came out in court that that's what she does. She had Elon Musk pay the bills that she was supposed to pay with her winnings from the previous case, and, of course, that didn't happen. She didn't pay anything. She lied about it. She perjured herself in court. I'm waiting for that to come back and boomerang on her. We'll see if it does. Uh, what else do we have? Asked if the Aquaman actress would be able to pay the damage she owes Depp after a jury vindicated his claims that she lied by accusing him of abuse during their marriage. The lawyer said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I, why do they keep saying why do they keep saying more than $10 million in damages and stuff like that? Um, there was a there was a verdict of 15 million. What am I missing? He got 15 and she got two. What am I what am I missing about this? You heard the same thing I did, right, Ben? I it, it was like last last night I, I heard Fox go, yeah, he was awarded over ten million dollars. I'm like, yeah, like like five million more than that. <laughs> so I don't I don't know why all of a sudden there's this like eight million dollar thing. I, I don't know what happened there. I, maybe some of that was like, I don't know, uh legal fees or what have you. Not exactly sure. But uh <laughs> Of course she can't pay. She doesn't have anybody paying her bills for it. She doesn't have a sugar daddy yet. And like I said before, if you're Amber Heard, I mean, what rich guy ever allows this woman into their house again, right? If you're some, you know, beta Carl or Chad or something like that on social media, I suppose Amber Heard is still a big get, but she's not interested in you. You don't have any money, okay? <laughs> but the rich, the rich guys out there, I mean, keep... He might, James Franco's run from her. Johnny Depp has run from her. Elon Musk has run from her. She's been really awful to a lot of people. I don't know who on God's green earth ever allows this woman in their house again. Even if you're a woman because she is bisexual, uh, which, you know, right now we're probably not even supposed to be, be able to talk about Amber Heard with Amber Heard, you know, being a part of the LGBTQ plus community and all that stuff. And it being Pride Month is probably considered a hate crime for me to point out that she's an awful human being. But I'm going to do it anyway because she's awful. But even if you're a woman, because Amber Heard is into women, why would you ever, given, <laughs> given her history of beating female girlfriends, why would you ever have this woman in your house again? You know, it's it's used to run into this a uh, lot uh, back in the day. You know, run into somebody who's been like married and divorced like five times, right? And you know, that person that's married and divorced five times, they always tell themselves, I just can't find the right person. Well, y- you've been divorced five times. I'm pretty sure you're the problem. It's not everybody else. It's you. And if Amber Heard keeps getting in physical altercations with her lovers, I think it might be her. Is that a reasonable conclusion to jump to? I mean, she's beaten up like three people she's been in relationships with. Well, I I shouldn't say beaten up, but she's assaulted at least three people that we know of, right? So why on earth would anyone date her? 
Unless, of course, that's just somebody really low self-esteem, has never had an attractive girlfriend, and, you know, maybe they maybe they have some money. But even, you know, it, nerdy, dorky people who have money can get pretty much whatever woman they want. You know, it's it's a thing. It's, it's money. So I don't know what Amber Heard is going to do with her life. I really don't. Um, but I'll tell you what. She would be able to pay Johnny Depp by the end of the month if she opened an OnlyFans. I'm just saying, you know, it's it's safer to be engaged with Amber Heard from a distance and through a screen than actually in person because she might actually hurt you physically. <laughs> I, I was watch. I know we talked about this yesterday, but I was watching her listen to the the ruling on this thing, and I'm still perplexed by this eight million dollar thing, but. I'm, I'm watching all of this, and it's like, yeah, we award Johnny Depp 15 mil. We award her 2 mil. And she's just sitting there sinking lower and lower in her seat. And you can tell she's, like, zoning out, and she's like, what am I going to do? My career's over, right? You can see that. She's already lost the gig with Aquaman. She's been fired by the DC Universe. She can't do any of the DC movies or anything like that anymore. So you're just sitting there watching her contemplate in her head, what am I going to do? Can I actually get a rich boyfriend after this? Am I going to be able to find work after this? How am I going to afford my my $500 bottles of Spanish wine that I drink $10,000 worth of every single month? How am I going to do that? And the, you know, there's this beacon of hope at the end of the tunnel. And it starts with an only and it ends with fans. That's the only, that's the only way I see this woman making it out of this. But she would. I I would bet I would bet my producer's yearly salary that if if she opened an OnlyFans, she would have more than 10 million dollars by the end of this month. Guarantee it. If the Cash Me Outside girl can make a million dollars in the first day on OnlyFans, Amber freaking Heard can make lots of money on OnlyFans. So, she's got options. She just doesn't have any options that'll make her happy or fulfilled as a human being. We got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Casey Hendrickson. Tell you what's happening throughout the area. I'm Laura Smith. And I'm John Zimney, plus the top news, traffic, and weather. First thing Friday morning on 95.3 MNC. All right, so some people posted, and we even had a caller, and then I opened an article to, uh, to find the answer to what had happened because uh, I appreciate all of your help, by the way. Thank you. I'd missed this part. So the jury awarded Depp 15 million, then it, then it awarded Amber 2 million, so it was a net of 13 mil. But the judge reduced the amount awarded to Johnny Depp to 10.35 million. And uh, then, of course, you take her 2 million away, so it's like 8.35 mil. Uh, so that's where that came from. I had missed that part, and probably because I didn't read anything about it, and after the ruling was done, I just popped back onto the show and and did my thing, and, and the judge probably said it right after that. So I, I thank you for the assistance in figuring that out because I was confused. All right, um, the Uvalde police chief, Aaron Arredondo, who has been just eviscerated by pretty much everybody in their community, and rightfully so, is uh, now been exposed as a supporter of Beto O'Rourke, better known as Francis. That's right. He donated money to Francis O'Rourke. Now, Francis O'Rourke has been running around promising to take away everybody's AR-15. Well, other than a couple of months ago when he announced he was going to run for governor, and then he said he wasn't interested in taking anybody's anything away from them. And then now he's able to jump back into it and say, yeah, I want to take your AR-15 away from you. 
because he's trying to lie to everybody in Texas to get elected. That's just who this guy is. I know that you know that. I'm not giving anybody any, you know, privileged information or anything. But, um, yeah, just um, that's interesting stuff. The police chief, did it affect his decision-making there? I don't know. Look, I don't think that it necessarily affected his decision-making. I'm just saying that I think that people who donate to Beto O'Rourke are less likely to put themselves in harm's way to save other people. And they probably sip soy lattes. That's my assumption. Okay, that's I don't have any actual evidence of that, but I don't think that anybody could prove me wrong either. So I'm just going to sit with it. But, yeah, he donated to uh, Beto O'Rourke. And, you know, there is where is the um, I got two things here. I got a story here. People are confusing, by the way. They're confusing two different stories with one when it comes to Uvalde. So the the federal officer who is at the barber is not the one who killed the shooter. All right? Different guy. He was not on the Bortak team. He's not the one that killed the shooter. Okay? Different guy. Um, He's still a hero. Don't get me wrong. But I actually have an article with him in it. And OAN has this. Um, But, yeah, just really, really good story. Now, he is a Border Patrol officer. He's just not the guy that killed killed the, uh, the shooter. His name is Jacob Alvarado. We've told you that before. He recalled his experience of rushing to the Uvalde school to save his wife and his daughter. During an exclusive interview with NBC on Tuesday, he said that his day began with an award ceremony for his daughter, breakfast with his mom, a car wash, and then things took a turn when he sat down for a haircut at a barbershop, which the barbershop is like right up the road from the school. Now, his wife is a teacher at the school. She teaches fourth grade. His daughter's in second grade. So he starts his day, you know, going to an award ceremony for his kid. And then he goes about his day, has breakfast with mom, you know, ends up getting his his haircut. He says the barber actually heard the gunshots. And then he got the text messages from his wife, active shooter, um, you know, help. I love you. That sort of thing. He grabbed the shotgun from his barber and he went he went to work. So he describes seeing absolute chaos with some police already there and parents trying to get into the school According to the New York Times, his daughter was locked inside of a bathroom while his wife hid under desks with her students. He eventually learned where where they were, uh, that they were both safe, and he helped evacuate children as they climbed through windows for safety. He later learned that one of his daughter's friends and teammates was shot and killed. Uh, so he's not the one, though. It just it, it isn't a huge deal. It's just that he's not the one that that actually took out uh, the shooter hero, obviously. Um, now, there is an article that I'm going to include in the Daily Show Prep, and this is in the the uh, Daily Caller. It's called Silent Professionals, the real story behind the elite Border Patrol unit that killed the Texas school shooter. This is about the BORTAC teams, how they're trained, what type of training they get, who gives them that training, that sort of thing. I'm not going to go into that right now. I'm just going to put it in the Daily Show Prep because I know that so many of you are going to be very interested in actually reading about them because not a lot of people know who Bortak is. Um, and I wasn't very familiar with them. I've, I've heard of the unit before. I wasn't super familiar with them, but still wanted you to go ahead and have an opportunity to learn about them because, you know, everybody's now like, oh, who's this team? Because let's be honest, as I said before, this was, you know, a bunch of guys who got kids in the school and they're off duty. They called the team. They got together and they said, we're going to handle this because they're not. And that's what happened. They disobeyed the police chief who donated to Francis O'Rourke. 
They disobeyed the police chief. They went in there. The first guy in the room took a bullet to the head, survived, killed the bad guy. That's what should have been done early on. Uh, For those of you who have been paying attention to this, there is actually the the documents from the active shooter training that this police department went through just weeks ago, that is publicly available. And in those documents, it says time is of the essence. Do not, do not hesitate. I'm paraphrasing, just drawing from memory here. You have to engage quickly. You do not stop and let the gunman continue to kill people. All of those things were completely abandoned and disregarded by this police department. Now, I've got an article here from People Magazine. I don't read People Magazine. I think I can count on the number of, on one hand, the number of times that I've actually used People Magazine on my show. However, this is a very powerful article, and I'm going to put it in the Daily Show prep for you today. We felt like cowards. This is a police officer who's talking about the decision to delay officer response to Uvalde's shooting. This is one of the officers who was there, who wanted to go in and was not allowed to go in. For more than an hour, police officers stood outside Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, waiting for signs to burst into a classroom to neutralize the gunman who had opened fire at the school. When authorities finally shot and killed the 18-year-old gunman, the carnage was staggering. 19 students, two teachers were dead, and more were injured. Pete Arredondo, the chief of police who donated to Francis O'Rourke, for the Uvalde Consolidated Independent School District stopped at least 19 officers from breaking into the school as the gunman opened fire. According to Stephen McGraw, the director of the Texas Department of Public Safety, Arredondo believed that the shooter had barricaded himself in an empty classroom and that no children were under an active threat. Now, here's the problem with that. That is impossible to believe because we've got like eight 911 calls from a little girl inside that classroom who told everybody where the shooter was. So we know that that isn't true. We've got a timeline of all of those phone calls. She's telling everybody where the shooter is and that they desperately need the police to come. And they didn't. It is impossible for me to believe that 911 did not convey that information to the chief of police. So anyway, not all officers agree with Arredondo's decision. One of the officers who was standing outside the school says that he and his colleagues discussed whether to go into the school anyway. Quote, there was almost a mutiny. This is what this officer told People Magazine. We were like, there's a bleeping gunman in the school. We hear gunshots and we're just going to stand here with our thumbs up our butts. I'm cleaning up his language. We wanted to go in and save lives. It was the most frustrating situation of my entire career. My veterans out there, uh, we have a word for how to deal with people like this, don't we? Not that I would ever advocate anything like that. For those of you who don't know, eh, don't worry about it. For those of you who do know, you know. We felt like cowards, the officer continued. It felt cowardly to stand off and let this punk, this kid, this 18-year-old bleephole just go in and do whatever he wanted to do. There was a lot of arguing, a lot of cussing, and a lot of people who were saying that we should just say bleep it and go in. But then what? We needed to have a plan, and the commander didn't have a plan. The officer who has served, who has served for more than a decade, wondered why they wouldn't confront a suspect who was barricaded in an empty classroom. That's a great question. Even if the suspect was in an empty classroom, why didn't you confront him? 
course, we already know the suspect wasn't in an empty classroom, and we knew that 911 calls were coming from within that classroom, pointing out that the suspect was not in an empty classroom. And I'm sorry, I just find it impossible to believe that the chief was not made aware of this. Period. The training that they had just had was completely thrown out the window by some beta guy. He's a beta for Beto. Shout out to Crowder for that amazing sketch, by the way, where they infiltrated a Beto O'Rourke rally. And uh, they made these shirts called Beta for Beto. (laughs) So good. So this Beta for Beto guy prevents all of these law enforcement people from going in and rescuing these kids. They can hear gunshots. What's he shooting at? If he's in an empty classroom, what's he shooting at? And even if he was in an empty classroom, why didn't you kill him anyway? He's in a classroom. You hit the door. You hit the windows. I don't know how many windows there are there. You distract the guy. You get in. You take him out. That way he doesn't pop through the windows and shoot an officer or a civilian or something that's out there in the barricade. None of this makes any sense. None of this makes any sense. If I Look, if I were this police chief, I'm out of dodge. This is Texas, folks. I realize that, you know, Texas is a little bit different than it used to be, but this is still Texas. This guy might find himself on the bad end of a really angry posse of parents. He needs to get out of dodge. He also needs to pay for this dramatically. We got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Michiana's breaking news and weather station. From the first step to the final phase, industrial and commercial electrical done right. Casey Hendrickson. It's a true story, though. Like I don't, I don't think that I've had real meat in four days. This is bad. It's really bad. I feel awful, bloated. I, it's it's awful. Uh, I need I need to get back on my my nutritional regimen. All right. Uh, somebody did call. I want to address it. Because I think it's important to address it. Somebody called and said, hey, I guess it's been reported that the police chief didn't have a radio. Cool. Not good enough. One, that just makes me hate the guy more. Two, every other cop did. <laughs> Everybody had radios. So 911 talks on that open band. Uh, there is zero excuse for even, even if, let's just say, in a Hollywood-esque type movie, that nobody had a radio. Not one single officer or agent or anybody there had a radio. Not one. Okay, That would be a Stephen King-like moment. Somebody from the 911 center would have been sent there with information. And it didn't happen. It just didn't happen. Um, So, like I said, I think that the chief froze. I think he panicked. And I think he wanted somebody else to desperately take over because he didn't want to make a decision because he was too scared of making the wrong one. And as a result, children died because he's weak and he's pathetic and he's a loser. And that's that's really all there is to it. I, there might be one or two people out there, oh, Casey, he served the badge. Screw that guy. He is an awful human being who deserves all of the scorn and the rage that he is about to get, period. He chose. Let's just make this as clear-cut as we possibly can. He chose to let children and two teachers die. That's what he chose, rather than making a decision. 
He came up with no plan at all. None. And and the fact that we've got stories now of enraged police officers who are there, who contemplated a mutiny, for the record, you all should have mutinied. You didn't. I think it's great that you're telling the story. I, I We need to know how bad leadership was there. I think that's necessary. But all you're telling me is we were all screaming and cussing and desperately wanting to go in. You still ultimately chose not to. You chose also. That's the truth. And the Bortac team made a choice also. That federal agent who was at the barber made a choice. Those parents who went into the school unarmed made a choice. The choice was to save the kids. The choice was to protect the innocent in the face of danger. The police didn't make that choice. Not a single police officer on that department made that choice. It's cool that you got articles in People Magazine telling everybody that you contemplated making that choice, but at the end of the day, you didn't, did you? And just because this turns into an anti-gun narrative as people continue to lie about firearms and everything else again, you know, I would like to point out that one of the most absurd lies that people love to say is that this, they, they call it a hero complex. Like people think, they fantasize that if they had a gun, they would be the hero in a situation, and that would never happen. Well, I got news for you. In 2021, there's 1.7 million uses of a defensive firearm. That's the estimate. That's the low number, by the way. High numbers over 2 mil. So about 1.7 million defensive uses of a firearm in, the, in this country. Far more people use firearms for good to protect others from danger in this country than use them for bad. But beyond that, the parents who went into that school unarmed to protect kids, they didn't have a gun. They still did it. What would have happened if they were armed? They would have still gone in. Only this time they would have been armed. This idea that good people will not rise to the occasion in dangerous situations is a fallacy and a lie that is easily destroyed with even the basic, most elementary search of Google or Bing or whatever search engine you're using. If you really wanted to dive into the woods on it, you can look at the FBI's own data. You can look at the FBI's own studies and their own reports about the most effective means to end a mass shooting is an armed civilian on scene. The FBI has written that in two different studies. The only people who seem to think that good people will not intervene in danger and put themselves at risk if they were armed are people who they themselves would not intervene and would not put themselves at risk. You know, the people who donate to Francis O'Rourke. Those folks. The Everytown for Gun Safety folks. The people who stand around on the D.C. Metro and watch a man get beaten as he's begging for help. They don't intervene, even though it's 10 to 1. They don't intervene. He's continuously being beaten, and then a knife gets pulled out, and then he gets repeatedly stabbed to death. And then all of those people who could have stopped it, who chose not to, then get robbed at knife point right after that. Those are the people who think that good people won't intervene. Cowards. 
because we have examples of good people intervening all the time, every day. We just had a woman with a pistol take out a mass shooter with an AR the day after this happened. No news coverage. None whatsoever. But she did it. But if you run into an anti-gun zealot, they'll tell you that people like her don't exist. They probably think it's less likely that a woman would do it. So how is it that a woman stopped a man with an AR-15 with her pistol? That's because firearms are a great equalizer. That's the truth. As I've said before, if you're against guns, you're pro-death, you're pro-rape, you're pro-tyranny. That's all there is to it. Got more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Casey Hendrickson. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Speaking of, oh, good people will never interfere. Homeowners exchanged gunfire with armed intruders. He did get hit, but he's alive. The intruders aren't. They dead. They're warm food right now. So this is, uh, again, another feel-good story. Let's see. Uh, we don't actually know what kind of a gun the, uh, the person used. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, Crowder, uh, the people on Crowder's website wrote, we don't know if he used a musket or an AR-15. That's good stuff. All right, not that long ago, I told you about the Chicago Police Department. I gave you the numbers of police officers that had left that department over the past several years. And the idea that a police department could lose that many officers and still be a functioning department is staggering. It's absolutely staggering. They've lost thousands. And I know that that was, it was just one of those numbers we were looking at. We're going, oh my God, this is crazy. How is there even still a police force there? Well, let's take a look at another police department in Seattle. Now remember Seattle, Seattle's the place that actually turned over an entire police precinct to Antifa when they set up their autonomous zone. They withdrew all law enforcement presence there. They let Antifa police their own section of the city. The police chief eventually resigned because she couldn't get any help from the mayor. Well, now the Seattle Police Department has stopped assigning adult sexual assault cases. They don't even assign them to any officers anymore. You want to talk about a war on women? This is all due to a declining number of available detectives. According to an internal memo... Between Sergeant Pamela St. John and Interim Chief Adrian Diaz, which is obtained by the Seattle Times and KUOW. I'm getting all of this from Cairo News. It put a massive stress level on all of our units. It has created drastic challenges for all of us. That's one reason why we're trying to adjust. We are cross-assigning sexual assault cases with our domestic violence unit. We brought in a couple of our officers to do 30-day assignments to also help fill the backlog. And a second detective will come in later this month, later this month of June. That's what Diaz uh, told Cairo News Radio. The interim police chief characterized the memo as a simplification, pointing out that the department continues to work through every case with the caveat that some number of sexual assault cases 
are triaged or prioritized according to whether a rape suspect is in custody. So he's doing damage control. The memo gets out. The memo is not supposed to get out. They go talk to the interim chief. He's like, no, 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 no. You're just you're, you're overly simplifying, you know, what we said in our memo in plain English. Now, we're, we're not we're still investigating everything. It's just that we're, you know, not investigating everything now. We'll get to those other cases at some point in time. Right now, we're going to make sure that we investigate the cases that have rapists who are already in custody. We're not going to try and catch any rapists. We're just the ones that are already in custody, though. We'll focus on those. We'll let the rapists, you know, go free and stuff. The Seattle Times article points out detective assignment discrepancies among different SPD departments. The alternative response team, for example, is staffed at twice the level of the sexual assault unit, belaying the argument that staffing attrition writ large is the reason adult sexual assault cases are deprioritized within the sexual assault unit. Uh, Quote, you raise a good point that we are constantly always trying to evaluate, Diaz responded. He's a politician. Holy smokes. Pointing out that the department has seen an increase of shootings in encampments, justifying the number of detectives staffed by the alternative response team. Uh, We've had a bunch of shootings at homeless encampments, so we're going to shift officers that direction. We're just going to leave the rapes alone. So... I come back to what I was just talking about in the last segment. You're anti-gun, you're pro-rape. We've been over the stats on this many, many times. Women who prevent themselves from being raped overwhelmingly are armed with a firearm. That's what the data shows. The FBI shows it. Every criminology department at every major university who studies it shows it. It's the great equalizer. You've got the Seattle Police Department right now not even investigating rapes in a timely fashion. Unless your rapist is in custody, you're really not going to get any kind of help from the department. I'll bet that makes the women of Seattle feel really comfortable. If only there was an invention that was made that she could maybe, like, carry with her that could, you know add between 1 and 17 additional holes in her attacker. Depending on the firearm, of course. Anyway, Diaz continues. We're having to always assess and adjust when it comes to sexual assault. I've upstaffed the sexual assault cases, assigning cases to that domestic violence unit. We're trying to make sure that we are properly investigating every sexual assault. Of course, the memo says otherwise. So he's out there saying, no, 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 the, the things that we said in private to one another are not true. Uh, we're totally doing the exact opposite of what we said in private to one another in a memo that you weren't supposed to get, public. See, public, we're totally investigating everything. So why did you send the memo to yourselves then within the department that said you guys weren't doing things that you're now saying you're doing? What was the point of that? Was it an office prank, Diaz? No, of course it wasn't an office prank. He's lying to the public right now. The reality is, is that department has been a, I don't want to say the department itself has been a cesspool. Leadership in that city has been a cesspool, and it has gutted that department. The department has been gutted. There's been a mass exodus of officers away from the Seattle Police Department. We have talked about that now for a couple of years. That city is run by communists. You abdicated an entire, an entire block of the city to a domestic terrorist group? You let him take over a police department precinct building? And now everybody is supposed to be surprised 
that they're not investigating rapes, which, by the way, were rampant inside the autonomous zone that Antifa set up in Seattle. Massive quantities of rape and sexual assault were reported there, just like there have been at every other one of these autonomous type zones like Occupy and everything else. It's weird. These leftists get together in these groups to fight the man, and they sure do rape a lot of women. Rapists don't want you to be armed. Anybody who doesn't want you to be armed is pro-rape. Whether they are cognizant of it or not. Are trees racist or not? We'll find out next. WTRC FM and HD1. Niles, South Bend, Elkhart. The final phase. Industrial and commercial electrical done right. Casey Hendrickson. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. Don't forget, you can watch the live stream, rumble.com slash Casey, the host. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Also, you can follow me on Truth Social at Casey, the host. Again, Truth Social is available for everyone now. It has been opened up. I ran into somebody on Instagram just this week who said that they would follow me on Truth Social if uh, they didn't have an Android phone, but you don't need to have an iPhone anymore. Truth Social is available for everybody online at truthsocial.com. Again, follow me at Casey the Host. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this next topic by pointing something out that I could forgive you for misinterpreting. I am not making this up. This is real, and no, this is not parody. All right, so. Some of you who might be a little confused when you hear what I have to say may not understand that I am actually giving you real stories. Now, we've talked about some of these on the show before, and I'm just using them as kind of like a refresher course as we get into the new article. And I know that when I titled the live stream today, I even put there at the top of the description, like, yes, this is real, okay? So let's go back in time. This is October of 2017. City officials commit to removing racist trees from the golf course in Palm Springs. Longtime symbol of segregation that has stood alongside golf course since the 1960s. Soon will meet its end in one California town. Okay, they talked about how um, you know they use the trees to to basically keep minorities from being able to see into the golf course and and that sort of thing. And trees are racist. Okay, back in 2017. Now, flash forward, and we go back to April of 2021. Portland School has delayed Evergreen's mascot vote. Now, Evergreens, of course, are like the state tree, I think. They're all over the place uh, in the Pacific Northwest. But they delayed a vote on Evergreen's mascot uh, for the school because they were afraid that the mascot was racist. Because of lynchings. I don't think anybody was ever lynched on an evergreen, but I could be wrong. I don't know. I have not heard of the racist history of lynching people on evergreens. So you've got just a couple of examples of the many that we've gone over over the years about how trees are racist. This is just a mascot for the tree that is everywhere in in Oregon. And they didn't even want to vote on a school being the Evergreens because it could have been interpreted as being racist. Golf course, racist trees. 
You can go back and Pete Buttigieg and some of the things that he said about racist trees. Okay. Now, here's why I'm perplexed. California reparations report demands tree planting in black neighborhoods for shade equity. But I thought trees were racist. What am I missing? I'm trying to figure this out. Like, I get that there's been an argument about the racial canopy and how low-income neighborhoods don't have shade and all of this other stuff. Um, But you've also simultaneously been saying that trees are racist and even, even the smallest of trees could be interpreted as potentially being some kind of a throwback to lynching. So which one is it? Now, remember, Casey's rule number one. Everything the left accuses the right of doing, they themselves are doing. Casey's rule number two. Every belief the left has contradicts another belief. So on one hand, the left believes that trees are racist. On the other hand, they believe not having trees is racist. So what are you supposed to do? I know this is California and it's a bizarre world and it's very difficult to keep up with the lunatic stuff that they do over there. A report on alleged systemic racism released Wednesday and greenlit by Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom is calling for the planting of trees statewide to create shade equity and reduce heat islands in black neighborhoods. Um... Screw you, brown neighborhoods. You're from the desert, so you can deal with it? Wait, have we heard that before? I feel like in history we've heard that before. I feel like we've heard the argument that, well, if you're from the desert, you're used to the heat. I feel Where have we heard that before? Oh, that's right, slavery. Yes. So we're, we're going to fix heat islands in black neighborhoods, but forget about you, Latinos. Right. Um, hey, trailer parks don't have a lot of trees either, but, you know, Whitey is the is the devil, so that doesn't really matter all that much. The 500-page report was released after Newsom signed legislation in 2020 forming a nine-member task force, because everything has to be called a task force, to inform Californians about slavery and explore ways that the state might provide reparations. So one of the ways to provide reparations is to plant trees, but only in black neighborhoods. It describes tree demolishing in black neighborhoods for highway construction and safe climate change and says climate change makes these areas hotter. Of course, it doesn't make them hotter uh, because there is no there is no uh, global warming. But I digress. Now, here's the thing. I'm, you want to plant trees, plant trees. Trees are great. California's got tons of them. It's got the right climate for it. Uh, plant trees. That's fine. Let's let's have some kind of intellectual consistency here at some point in time. Just say, you know what? Hey, all you have to do is go out there. Instead of making a whole race issue, uh, just go out there and be like, look, we've noticed that we've neglected planting some some uh, foliage in low income areas. And we're going to we're going to rectify that because, you know, hey, yeah, it, there's a whole process here. It'll beautify the area, cool the air. Plus, you know, trees are great. That sort of stuff. Why not just do that? It's called a beautification project. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, for the record, low-income areas tend to have more parks. Parks tend to have trees. 
Nobody brings that up. Nationally, formerly redlined areas consistently show hotter temperatures than other areas. The report says, therefore, climate change, yada, yada, yada. Um, it's, it's not climate change. It's, it's concrete. <laughs> this is how concrete works. I don't know if you're aware of this. Concrete gets really hot. And grass and trees don't. So if you go to a place like, oh, I don't, just whatever your opinion is on this, just default to me being from the desert, okay? If I go to Las Vegas, Nevada, there is an official temperature in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, the official temperature will be something like 110 degrees. Now, do you know, you know why it's 110 degrees? Because it's in the shade at the airport in the parking garage. Do you know why it's in the shade at the airport in the parking garage? Because the thermometer will melt. The temperature in Las Vegas is usually 118 to 123 midsummer. That's what it really is. However, if you go into areas, and this is true, if you go into areas with more trees, the temperature is a little bit lower. That's true. Nobody's denying that. It's basic scientific fact, right? Earth Science 101. However, Las Vegas is consistently not as hot as Phoenix, Arizona, downtown. Now, why is that? Well, if you go to Phoenix, Arizona, they've got big buildings, lots of glass, lots of concrete. Vegas doesn't have that. They have it on the strip, but they don't really have it everywhere else. And what you have outside on the strip in Las Vegas is water features, Lots of trees, lots of things that would naturally cool down the downtown area. Uh, And I'm not specifically talking about downtown Las Vegas. I'm talking about like downtown on the Strip. Downtown and the Strip are two different things. So in Phoenix, they don't have that. So Phoenix, downtown versus the Strip in Las Vegas, even though the temperature outside of the urban areas is the same, they tend to be lower in Vegas than they are in Phoenix because of the construction. It's not global warming. It's it's concrete. <laughs> that's that's what it is. But if you're going to run around and you're going to be talking about trees being racist and then we need to plant more trees there, I does the reparations committee address the question about the racist trees calling back the lynching? I don't know if it does. I'm too lazy to read 500 pages because I don't live in California, but I have to ask... Which one is it? Are the trees racist? Or do you need the trees in low-income neighborhoods to make the temperature cooler for low-income black people? Because we don't care about anybody else. Only low-income black people. Everybody else doesn't matter. I don't know. I suppose it kind of depends on who's in power in the particular area in which you're exploring this, this policy. So there's that. Real story. More coming up. 95.3 MNC. Casey Hendrickson. Tell you what's happening throughout the area. I'm Laura Smith. And I'm John Zimney. Plus the top news, traffic and weather. First thing Friday morning on 95.3 MNC. Fake news. Super boring on the weekends here. Anyway. I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. Wasn't supposed to say that out loud. Not my fault. The area is boring. Hey, let's talk about Tim Hortons. Speaking of boring. Let's talk about Tim Hortons. Did you know that Tim Hortons has an app? Now, I know a lot of you love Tim Hortons coffee. Every time we talk about coffee, you're like, oh, yeah, Tim Hortons coffee is amazing. I mean, it's okay. It's not the worst. But um, did you know that they have an app? Did you know that their app tracks users? Now, some of you are probably going, well, yeah, I mean, you know, most mobile apps do track, you know, their users and stuff. Yeah, okay. 
Did you know that Tim Hortons app tracks their users when they go into rivals establishments and notifies Tim Horton of that? <laughs> it's a messed up way of geocaching your uh, your customer base. <laughs> Uh, Canadian coffee chain Tim Hortons broke Canada's privacy rules by tracking users' location even when the app was not in use. There's a joint investigation of the provinces of Alberta, Quebec, Quebec, Quebec. This is good, fe- good fishing there <laughs> for those of you who are Letterkenny fans. And British Columbia, as well as the Privacy Commissioner of Canada, A, concluded... Uh, In reality, the authorities said that the app tracked users as long as the device was on, continually collecting their location data, which a lot of apps get caught doing. Uh, The app also used location data to infer where users lived, where they worked, and whether they were traveling. That is called metadata, which they're now telling you is super inaccurate. They're only telling you that because of 2,000 mules. A week before 2,000 Mules came out, metadata was extremely accurate and dangerous. But now, now that Dinesh D'Souza's used metadata, well, it's unreliable. It generated an event every time users entered or left a Tim Hortons competitor, a major sports venue, or their home or workplace. Dude, I would dump any lady who did this with my phone. And I'm just, obviously... Not on the market because none of you can afford me. But this is the type of thing that your stalker ex would do. They would install one of those tracking apps on your phone without you knowing about it. And then everywhere that you would go, they would get a little update on where it was. So they know if you really went to work or if you went to Susie's house, right? Are you really, really home or did you go to Becky's party? This is, I mean, this is creepy stuff here. The authorities ordered the company to remove the tracking capability from the app, adding that the company misled many users to believe information would only be accessed when the app was in use. You know, like every other app that we have here in the United States, particularly if the app is from Google or Facebook. They love violating those uh, privacy terms. (laughs) There's got to be a ton of other companies who do this, man. There has to be. Like every time. Can you imagine, like, you know, Casey's, Casey's Coffee, Let's just say I finally open a coffee shop and I'm serving Burn and Brew. And every time you went to Starbucks, I would send you a coupon just just to harass you about it. Very interesting stuff. Uh, scary, but interesting. So I, I was watching a thing here with one of the Davos Dweebuses. I don't remember his name. Uh, but they were saying that really we're we're less than 10 years away from smartphones not existing. That's what their feeling is. And what's going to happen, I know that we've talked about this tech before, but what's going to happen is stuff's going to get implanted. And, you know, some of it will be wearable. Like we go back to Google Glass and that sort of stuff. Smart glasses are, are back out now. Um, but they think that they're going to be having wearable and implantable tech. Uh, there already is that stuff. But I know that Google Glass got abandoned so they could work on the contact lens. So you'll basically have, you know, a contact lens, it's a computer chip, you'll wear, you'll have your heads up display and your notifications and all that stuff will be right there in your your contact lens and you'll it'll basically just be augmented reality everywhere you go. Um, and it'll probably have your vital signs and things like that. You start huffing and puffing a little too much at the gym, you'll probably see a little thing right in front of your face and 
Uh, you'll be able to do your GPS and all of that without holding a device. This is this is where we're headed. But it was interesting to see. I think that don't quote me on the time frame, but I think that they said something like within ten years they expected this to become the norm, if not, you know, like pretty much exclusive. Uh, with everybody in in the country. And when you think about it, I know 10 years doesn't seem like that far, but look at how far we have come since the cell, the cell phone went mainstream and was actually created. I mean, just think about that. It has been, what, 20 years? I know, right? Doesn't feel like it's only been 20 years, but it's only been like 20 years, guys. It hasn't been that long. A little bit more than that. And I'm not talking about when it was invented, right? I'm talking about when it went mainstream and everybody left beepers and they went to cell phones. It's only like 20 years ago. What was the first iPhone again? Hold on. A I got to look this up. Uh, first, I've, I always forget this because every time I, I look at it, I'm like, I can't believe it. Oh, did you know that you can buy a first generation four gigabyte uh, iPhone for 18 grand on eBay right now? So I, I didn't, you know, hey, you could do that if you really wanted to iPhone was released in 2007. 2007. That's crazy. Look at the technological advances since then. So in 10 years, the idea that your cell phone ain't going to be around anymore is really not out of the realm of possibility. Think about the first iPhone to now. Big leaps forward in technology. Big leaps forward. So it's possible. And I know that some of you are like numbers of the beast and that sort of stuff. Well, you know. Hey, um, good luck with the uh with the afterlife stuff, because we're we're going down pretty quick. Real question is how are we gonna go down? That's the thing that we don't know. Uh let's see. The American Federation of Teachers is catching some flack for some lawmakers. Uh, Republicans in the House Education Committee sent letters to the uh, misinformation rating tool NewsGuard and the American Federation of Teachers demanding answers about their partnership to protect American children from so-called misinformation. Uh, Representative Banks from Indiana is in on this, too, by the way. He's trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, NewsGuard is a giant leaping pile of crap. In case you don't know what NewsGuard is, NewsGuard is a biased resource that is supposed to show you what reliable news sources are and it's trash it's been trash for a very long time it has been amusing watching people who used to believe in NewsGuard suddenly realize that NewsGuard is hot garbage and is really a promoter of propaganda uh, some of those looking at you Tim Pool some of those people are finally coming to that realization and I'm glad that they are it's better late than never but I sure wish that they had just seen what NewsGuard really was back when NewsGuard started, because NewsGuard was just a rebrand and a retread of the same format that we've seen over and over again. Oh, we're a new fact checker, making sure that all the fact checkers are actually fact checking accurately. And really, it's it's not. It's just more propaganda. But the American Federation of Teachers is now partnered with NewsGuard. So the American Federation of Teachers is probably the least accurate place for information that you could ever possibly hope to get any information at all. You should trust nothing that the AFT says, period. And I'm talking to their membership, too. Whatever the AFT tells you, you teachers, don't believe a word of it. But they've joined with NewsGuard. So this is an automatic, massive red flag. So they announced earlier this year through a press release that said the AFT's 1.7 million members, tens of millions of kids they teach who they don't care about, 
and their families can now receive free real-time traffic light news ratings and detailed nutrition label reviews via a licensed copy of NewsGuard's browser extension. So they'll go on the web, they'll search for news and information. NewsGuard will tell you this is not a reliable source when it's a reliable source. And they'll tell you this is a reliable source when it's CNN. So you, you get kind of the idea here. NewsGuard claims to be a tool that helps people fight online misinformation through a browser extension that gives trust ratings. However, conservatives feel the tool is biased against some outlets. Um, don't feel that way. It's a fact. It's been proven. There's actually been studies done on NewsGuard on their bias, and it's been exposed thoroughly over the past couple of years. So anyway, uh, letters signed by House Education Committee ranking member, Representative Virginia Fox, Republican of North Carolina, Representative Jim Banks, Republican of Indiana, and Burgess Owens, Republican of Utah, says the AFT and NewsGuard have a history of demonstrating left-wing bias. No kidding. And called the partnership, quote, troubling, singling out the tool for ranking several Chinese state-run media outlets higher than some conservative and far-right American news sources. And I would also like to point out that a lot of those Chinese state-run media outlets pay Washington Post, New York Times, L.A. Times, and others to carry their product inside of it. But, you know, you're fake news. So... Be aware of this. Uh, anybody who has NewsGuard installed, just uninstall it. Like I said, it's hot trash. It's unreliable. We've talked about it before on this show, but there's been research done on this pretty extensively that highlights the bias of NewsGuard. They're basically just a propaganda tool pretending to be something that will give you good information. Don't trust a thing that that thing says. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, MNC News Time. 531 time to check out impress jewelry creations creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that will last a lifetime this studios from the first step to the final phase industrial and commercial electrical done right casey hendrickson all right i've changed my mind i think that amber heard could find another boyfriend earlier this this show i i said i i Repeated my claim. I don't think that Amber Heard is going to be able to find herself a sugar daddy anymore. Not without lying about who she is. But that got me to thinking, you know, there is a guy out there that I think would be perfect for Amber Heard. You've never heard of this dude. But I think he's the guy, right? Like I said, I'm just trying to help her move on so she can stabilize and stop being a psychopath and ruin good men. Not that Johnny Depp is one of the good guys, okay? But, you know. So there's this congressional candidate, and uh, this this congressional candidate is a Democrat. I mean, because she's a Democrat, right? So, you know, you, you got to make sure that everything lines up. So he's a congressional candidate. Um, this is a really tough race, but he issued an apology yesterday. And his name is Rudy Salas, not Salads, Salas. Now, he's from California. So Amber Heard's right there in California. He's a Democrat. She's a Democrat. So they're two liberals, right? They both got short names. Um, well, he's apologized because he's he's been on Tinder and Bumble. But he's been catfishing the people that he's been interacting with on, on Tinder and Bumble. <laughs> so, see, there is somebody for Amber Heard. 
California Assemblyman Rudy Salas listed his age on Tinder and Bumble as 34, though he's actually 45 years old, according to the San Joaquin Valley Sun. The controversy is another blunder for the Democrat in one of the most competitive congressional races in the country. Salas has been criticized by Republicans for, quote, botching his campaign rollout and flubbing media interviews. Uh, Salas, whom National Democrats tapped to run against incumbent Republican Representative uh, David Valadeo, hope I got that right, uh, for the highly competitive seat, confirmed that he listed a false age on his apps, on the apps. I made a mistake, he said. It won't happen again. Y'all bet it won't. Uh, Salas' move is a common tactic for online daters seeking to date much younger people who might not otherwise be interested in them. This dude does know that, like, women are okay dating older guys, right? Like, has nobody told this guy? Like, that's the thing? Like, women like older guys. Not everybody, but, I mean, there's a lot of women who like older guys. He, he would probably be more successful listing his real age or just knocking a couple of years off. Maybe he's not 45, maybe he's 42, something like that. I think he'd probably do okay. So, anyway, uh, men have traditionally dated women a few years younger but now they aren't quite getting a look at, uh, getting a look in. Dating apps have made people more selective, so men are tweaking their ages to boost their opportunities. That's according to dating coach James Priest. Uh, don't use that guy as a dating coach. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, there's part of me that just wants to make fun of this dude for doing it. And then there's another part of me that's just like, ladies do it. Why can't he? You know, it's why not? He could tape up. He's got it. He's he's a he's one of those like no neck dudes. He's got a really big waddle. Like he could take uh, he could tape up his waddle, you know, and just take a picture where the waddle is gone. You you could Photoshop it out. I don't care. Whatever. And and then just post it on on Tinder. And then when people get upset about it, he's like, hey, you wear makeup, lady. You don't look like that for real. But <laughs> this is so good. Oh my gosh. Is, is it petty? Casey, am I, is Casey being petty right now? Yes, 100%. Totally being petty, but it's hysterical. Salas describes himself on Tinder as a world traveler. <laughs> Let's smile, laugh, and enjoy the journey of life. BC. Let's face it. That means because. Let's face it. It's better together than alone. Never married, he wrote. Gee, I wonder why. I wonder why you've never been married. He then added emojis of an airplane, headphones, a taco, a basketball player, and a Pisces sign. His Bumble profile lists his favorite qualities as honest, honesty, loyalty, and a good heart. Guys. Yeah, so honest he's knocking like 11 years off of his age on the dating apps gotta love it (laughs) this guy can get elected to congress got more coming up 95.3 mnc casey hendrickson michiana's news channel your breaking news and weather station i was just asking the live stream like Hey, is is it a red flag for somebody to be 45 years old and never been married? I think it is. I'm just like, like if, if I were single and I were on a date, 
And the woman across from me was 45 years old. She's never been married. I'm sorry. That is a massive red flag that there is something wrong with her. Okay. <laughs> I would assume that women would think the same thing about a man who's 45 and never been married. Uh, I, unless, like I said, unless you're like, uh, you know, Adonis or something and you've just been playing the field your entire life because you have the looks to do it. But uh, this guy's almost as bad as Eric Swalwell. You know what Eric Swalwell wants to do? He wants to use campaign cash to pay for babysitters when he goes overseas on work trips. True story. It's in the Washington Free Beacon. I'll put it in the Daily Show prep today. Eric Flipping Swalwell, the guy who farted on national TV, wants to use campaign dollars to pay for babysitters. How about you just do what everybody else does and just pay for it out of your top 5% wealth earnings that you get as a member of Congress. They don't want to pay for anything. He sent a letter in uh, at the end of May to the FEC asking if he could pay campaign cash to babysitters so that way he could have people watching his kids when he goes overseas. Also a huge red flag. Honestly, you know, Taco No Net guy in California is a better catch than Eric Swalwell is. Somehow Eric Swalwell's got kids. Bill O'Reilly's up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Bill O'Reilly here. The O'Reilly 